0: Hey lovelies, before we get started I just wanted to give a huge thank you to everyone who pre-ordered the black flutter dress. The campaign was an incredible 48 hours and it was, it was just really special. The fabric has been ordered, the dresses are going to be made shortly and all of them will ship by May 3rd. And I'll be giving periodic updates here and on my Instagram as well. Also the blossom dress and the foil floral flutter dresses are now restocked in a couple of sizes. There's not a lot, these are returns that came back, so there's only a handful. Um, But if you were looking for sizes previously and you couldn't find it, I do encourage you to go back and check the site. Um, Last I checked, I think uh, there were even some in, I think 20s, 22s, some 18s there were for sure, for sure were, I'm pretty sure I saw some 16s as well. Um, Again, not a lot, but. Do go check that out if that was something that you had missed because they did come back. And also, as a reminder for always, if you sign up for the back in stock notifiers on the website, then you get an email notification the second one gets returned. So you get, you know, real first dibs. It's in real, real time. This week's episode is really exciting for me because uh, someone has launched a new podcast, Uh, Aviva Breda, who I had on the show a little while ago. Um is launching a podcast. It's called A Piece of Me with Aviva Breda, a name that she actually got from the episode that she did with me on kidney donation um, on this show, which you're about to hear soon. And um, it's it's really exciting because I've gotten a chance to know Aviva in the time since we've recorded this interview and it's been really special. So what she has out now on her brand new show are two solo episodes, um, which are really insightful and I I enjoyed listening to them. Those are good little nuggets. I think one of them is only 13 minutes long. So good for, you know, little little tidbits here and there. Uh, And then she also has an interview out with yours truly. When we recorded that, I mean, it was, it was so much fun. It was really great. It was, I think that's the longest interview that's out there that I've done with someone. Um, and it was definitely the most free flowing. It was a really exciting conversation. Uh, so do check that out. Her show is called A Piece of Me with Aviva Breda. You can listen to it wherever you're listening to this. And in celebration of that, here is a re-air of the conversation I had with Aviva on kidney donation. Enjoy. Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Riv Gietzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a kidney donor about the journey she took towards giving a part of her body to a stranger. She shares the misconceptions around the backup kidney and what was going through her head the morning of her surgery. Aviva Breda is frankly, perfectly ordinary. She's a typical New Jersey mom with three kids who you have probably seen in the grocery store about a dozen times. And I think that's what makes her story so incredible. Aviva has done something I simply cannot wrap my head around. I've thought about it since I spoke with her and I'm 100% positive that if anyone from my family needed a kidney, I could do it. And I'm equally positive that there's no way I would donate to a perfect stranger.
1: As a little kid, I was scared. <laughs> Just to sum it up, I was scared of everything. I I would, I would, could vomit on command not to go to nursery school. I was terrified of burglars and fires.
0: I was scared. That's what I was as a little kid. When did you stop being scared?
1: That's a great question. Um,
0: I don't think I actually
1: stopped being scared until after my first child was born. Um and I had my first kid at 22 so that was a long time of
0: being scared now that I think about it. That is. That that is. I mean it's I think that a lot of people are have like this nervousness that just I don't know I don't think that a lot of people um identify that as being scared though as being.
1: So it's interesting cuz I definitely have like a baseline low level anxiety you know just right. standard um just just because of life and whatever but I distinctly remember for the longest time being scared like I would never stay home by myself I remember even like it took me a while to adjust as an adult like to my husband not being home and I was alone in the house before we had kids like I just never liked it and it's so ironic because now I three kids later <laughs> I love being alone like it's such a special time now and it's I don't even know exactly when that flip happened but it was pretty serious.
0: It's kind of crazy for me to hear that you were scared um, for a good chunk of your life, because I think that you have done probably one of the bravest things that I can think of. <laughs> so um, and and you reached out to me, full disclosure, this is the first time that we're talking. Um, and you reached out to me and you said, hi, Rifki, um, I want to talk about kidney donation, because that's something that I did. And I think that more people need to know more about it. So start from the beginning. Talk me through this.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, so it's so interesting. I, um, when I first heard about kidney donation, it was 2017. So not even so long ago, I honestly had no idea that you could donate a kidney and be alive. I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, I guess somewhere in my mind, I knew that you had two kidneys, but I really had no clue that you only needed one to live. Um, so I was at like kind of like an awareness event. It was a big event in our community. I live in Teaneck, New Jersey. Um and my husband and I were friends with our friends with people who were very involved. So they asked us, would you come, like man a table, just help us out. So we said sure. We came, we um we participated in the program, we helped man a table and I just was totally floored. I had no idea you could literally take a piece an organ from your body and give it to someone else and be alive. You know, I've heard obviously of transplants before, but I guess I had always heard of like, you know, heart transplants or big major things where, you know, unfortunately someone has to die in order for someone else to live. So um, I was at this event and I'll tell you for me, really, the turning point was um, there was a, they had like um, a donor get up and speak to the crowd. And she was this really young girl in her 20s. Her name was um, her name is Esty Stark. I actually think she just got married, so it might not be anymore. But um, she said straight out, like without batting an eye, without thinking about it, she just said straight out, God gives us two kidneys. We only need one to live. The other one is not ours. It's not ours to keep. It's ours to share. It's a gift from God, and it's our duty, obviously, if you can. Um, to pass it to someone who needs it more than us. And that resonated with me so strongly. And I don't even know why, I, I don't, I couldn't even explain to you what about it, just hearing those words, it stuck with me. Um, and so that night I decided, okay, I'm going to swab to be a donor. And, you know, life and reality, all of that, you know, and the excitement of the moment, I was like, oh, sign me up, I'm in. And then, like two days later, I got a call from uh, one of the um, one of the re- the coordinators from Renewal. Renewal's, Renewal Renewal um, is an organization that matches potential kidney donors with kidney recipients. They kind of facilitate the whole process to make sure that it is seamless, easy, um, as smooth as it possibly can be. Um, and they are really donor advocates. Obviously, they work with the recipients because you know you need them, and they do everything to make sure that they're healthy and ready for a transplant. But they're really donor advocates. They really make sure that the process is completely seamless for the donor. Um, so two days after that event, I got a call from Erie from Renewal, and I panicked. I mean, like totally, totally lost my mind. And it's so crazy because I have never even donated blood ever wow nothing like that was never my thing I think I actually tried to sign up once but I after my second son was born I had to have a blood transfusion so it disqualified me and I was like oh thank god I have an out you know um and I had swabbed once uh to be in the bone marrow donor registry for gifts of life and I remember, like, every time you got a, like we would get a letter in the mail or something, I'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Oh, my God. And it was always, like, a, you know, not nothing. But um, when I got that call from URE from Renewal, I literally panicked. I was like, are you kidding me? It's been two days. Like, you cannot need my kidney already. Um, and she actually was just doing screening calls because the event had generated so much interest that they really needed to gauge the um, seriousness of the people who swab because obviously it costs money to process all of the tests and to see you know to go forward with the thing so you know I very politely you know told her wow thank you so much send me all the information I'll look over it wink wink you know like sure I'm gonna do this um and that honestly went on for like two years probably and I
0: every when you say that you mean like her reaching out and you being like yeah I'll check the email."
1: So no, because they're, they're very, um, hands off, you know, there's no pressure, nothing like that internally that went on with me for two years. Like I read through all the information, um, a local rabbi, rabbi Ari Sittner, who's a um, kidney donor as well, wrote a book. I read his book cover to cover. I definitely like held on to the idea. And every, like every month, every six weeks, I would say to my husband, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he was like, okay, okay, whatever. And then after probably close to two years, he finally turned to me and he was like, okay, so do it. Like what you're threatening me, like, let's do it already. So he actually really said to me, you know, thank God, full support. And he was a thousand percent on board. He said to me like, even though it's very likely if you want to donate a kidney that you'll be a match because it is a pretty easy matching process. He said, like, you never know. There's so many tests you have to go through. Like just take the next step and then, and then make the decision because you could automatically be disqualified and it'll be out of our hands, you know? Right. So that's what I did. So I, I reached out to renewal, um, January of 2019 and I said, "Okay, I'm ready. I want to donate my kidney and i I kid you not like in twenty minutes. I had a phone call back from the director at Ele Steinmetz. and he said, like we don't you know we don't take this lightly. if you think you want to do it, like we're here so um, I actually had a really good out at this point because the swab that I had done two years prior was no longer in the system or had never been processed, and he said to me, You know." You kind of have to start from scratch. It's very easy. We'll send you a swab kit. Totally your choice. No pressure. If you want to do it, great. Mail it back. If not, also great. No problem. Thank you. Um, So he sent me the kit. And the minute I got the kit, I was, like, hyper-focused. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to do this. I have to do this tomorrow. It has to happen. It's like I was crazy. I I swabbed. I did everything. It's very user-friendly, very easy to do. Um, totally non invasive. It's just a swab on the inside of your cheek, similar to bone marrow. Um, and I sent the kit back and I started like hounding them every day. Do, get you, it. Do, you said, do you have someone? Do you have
0: someone? Do you have someone?
1: Like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And he's like, you know, he was so great. He's like, I promise you, as soon as we have the answer, we will call you. Like, we want this as bad as you do, if not more. So we will be there. We will we will be in touch. So um, about two weeks later, maybe a little bit less, you know, I was so anxious. I was like buzzing. I I don't know. Like once I decided in my head, okay, this is happening. I'm really going to do it. I I couldn't, I was, I was like overcome with it. I was so excited. I was so overwhelmed. Um, So when they finally called and said, okay, you know, we think we have a preliminary match do you want to go forward? And at every, every single step renewal says to you, you know, do you want to move forward? Do you want to move forward? And there is no pressure. The The recipients don't even know there's a potential match for them. Like it is so low pressure. It is so easy at any time. You can just say, you know what? It's not for me. Something comes right. up in your life.
0: So they, right. So they reach out to you and they say, okay, we have someone who it might work with. And then there's other tests and things that you need to go through is that like a blood test like x-rays like how does what is what does that look like okay so after that preliminary swab
1: once they find you a match or a potential match you go you have to go in for what what they call kind of like the million dollar physical day of testing so based on where your recipient is registered uh, my recipient was registered at Cornell in the city um, you schedule a day of testing with with the, at the hospital. So, yes, that day of testing requires a 24-hour urine collection that you do at home. And I remember my kids knew Pause. nothing about this. Pause.
0: What is it. a 24-hour urine collection? Like, you have to pee every hour? No. Every time you pee
1: for 24 hours, it has to go into this container.
0: Okay. Well, that makes sense because kidneys pee. Okay. That makes sense yeah. to me.
1: So obviously that's easier to do like on a day that you're at home rather than out or at work right so my kids at the time I have three kids knew nothing about this and they're not babies I had a 16 year old a 12 year old and an eight year old
0: you have a 16 year old and there are cups of pee around the house so exactly so (laughs) well he was
1: 14 at the time so yeah 15 at the time but yeah so I that's funny I I actually have in my bedroom, in my closet, I have like a very small, like a dorm fridge. Cause I like cold drinks, like even right. water. I like everything cold. So I keep that. So it was perfect because I was able to, it has to stay in the fridge. So oh, okay. I was able to not put it in my kitchen fridge, but stash it in my closet <laughs> fridge the day before this, this test. So That's awesome. right. So it's a whole, it's a whole to do, but it's not as daunting as it sounds. I guess you realize you don't necessarily pee as often as you think you would in 24 hours,
0: but I don't know how many times you pee in 24 hours. Like four, maybe five?
1: I don't know. You know, I thought, "Oh my god, I'm going to have to this is going to be like attached to my hip and I'm going to if I have to if I have to go to the supermarket." But it's really not that big of a deal. Right. Like it's a, it's a much easier process. So anyway, you do this 24-hour urine collection. You have to bring it with you, you know, so you hide it in a little, like, in a a reusable shopping bag or something, you know, lugging around your container of pee. Um,
0: Wait, I have one more question about the pee. Does each time you pee go into a different container, so you have several containers of pee, or is it just one giant container of pee?
1: It is like lugging around a gallon of pee. In one container? One giant container.
0: Awesome. (laughs) So I, see, yeah. this is something I never would have known you had to do.
1: Exactly. Okay. Cool. So, so you do that the day before this day of testing because you got to bring it with you. Right. Okay. So then you go in. Um, I had to be at Cornell. I think at eight in the morning. Um, the, every person at Renewal is, is assigned a donor coordinator. So um, I was assigned this incredible, incredible man. His name is Rabbi Moshe Gore. He is a donor himself and after the process decided to end up working um, for a renewal so he met me there he treated me like I was a celebrity he's like it was February he's like can I hold your coat and I'm like no I can hold my own coat it's so weird you know everything I, they really go above and beyond oh let me just backtrack for one second um, before this day of testing that I did um, my husband and I had a very serious conversation. Um, I, at that point, only he and I knew that I was going to do this and going in for the day of testing meant that there was going to be some serious financial outlay from renewal because they cover, they, and, or the donor's insurance, the recipient's insurance, I'm sorry, covers all of the, all of the medical expenses. So he and I had a serious conversation because I felt very strongly that I would not be able to go through this experience without the support of my parents. I'm extremely close with my parents. They're extremely important in my life in my children's lives in my husband's life. They are, they're very important in our lives. So we had a really serious conversation because before I would, I knew that if my parents weren't supportive, I wouldn't go through with it and I didn't want renewal. to to have this outlay this huge financial outlay of all this testing if in the end i wasn't going to go through with it so um the week before i was scheduled for this testing i um went to talk to my parents and it was actually an interesting situation my parents live locally and they also have a house in florida that week the way it worked out my father was here for work and my mother was in florida they were kind of like in one of those, you know, going back and forth states. So I called my dad and I said, um, "I'm gonna just come over. I want to talk to you for a minute." So of course he gave me like, "Uh oh, like either, uh, either she's pregnant or something terrible has happened." You know, <laughs> so. right? There's
0: no in between. Exactly. If you can't tell me over the phone. Then it's either really great or really awful, They're
1: really bad. Right. So, so he was like, um, okay, sure, okay. So I get to his house, ha- to their house, and my dad opens the door. I go in. We sit down. We talk. I said, oh, you know what? Let's FaceTime mommy. So then he's like, oh god, this is not going to be good, <laughs> or it's going to be really good. Um, so, so we did. My mom was actually online in a store, so she we waited a little bit. She called us back. Anyway, basically, I had them, my father next to me, and my mother on FaceTime. And I kind of just blurted it out. I said, you know, I swabbed to be a kidney donor, something I feel really strongly about. Um, I'm about to move forward in the process. And I just wanted to get your, you know, your feelings, hopefully your blessing. So immediately, within minutes, my father was tearing and he was, you know, 100%. My mom, obviously, my mom took a little bit longer. She, I got her, I got her within the phone call, but she, you know, it's a scary thing to think about putting yourself through, um, surgery. It's real surgery going, you know, right?
0: I mean, it's not only that it's real surgery, it's that, you know, you only, you know, there's, it's, it's very admirable to think of your second kidney as a gift that you can give someone else. It's probably a lot more, I don't want to say natural, but just Like when I hear second kidney, I hear backup kidney. I don't hear kidney to give away. I hear like if I ever need, I don't know. Maybe God gives you a second kidney so that if one of them gets punctured, I don't know. Can kidneys get punctured? I don't know. If one of them breaks in some way, then you have backup kidney. So it's so
1: interesting actually because that is a very common thought, right? Everyone thinks I have two because just in case, you know, I have one and then you need the other. What's so interesting, other than um, damage by puncturing, let's say, or, you know, a freak accident or something, if one of your kidneys go, they both go. So there is no backup kidney. Wait, what? Even, what? Yeah, backup. I know. See, this is, these are the things that people don't know, and I didn't know this either.
0: So, wait one second when you say that like if one of your kidneys goes, so like if you have kidney disease or something of the sort, if something biologically happens that is gonna make your kidney break down for whatever reason, your two kidneys are so connected that it's both that it's both of them it's both oh, The wow. only way I didn't that, know that.
1: that you can have like a backup kidney is let's say God forbid there's a tumor or growth in one kidney, and it's right. and it's um you know, it's restricted only to that kidney, so then they can possibly remove one or, uh,
0: and, and the other, other. one. Function. So if you have like, so if you have like a cancer that hasn't yet metastasized, then, then your kidney acts as a backup kidney, sort of, sometimes I, maybe.
1: Sometimes, okay. not always, typically with kidney issues, kidney disease, kidney failure, Um, I don't know all the kidney stuff, but typically, if, if your kidneys, if your kidney goes, it's not like,
0: one goes and the other is good. They go together. They're connected. Unless, so so you said the exception to that would be like if you're, God forbid, in a car accident or something like exactly. that. And only right. one kidney gets punctured or something, Damaged. then the other one would still be fine. It, wow. Possibly. Poss- possibly. Right, yeah. okay. Obviously which, super which, case by case.
1: Yes, which is why you can function 100% with only one kidney. Because having and... the two kidneys doesn't up your kidney function,
0: right? Okay, somehow, I, right? No, this makes <laughs> sense. One second, I'm pulling out my AP bio for a second. Okay, the way the kidneys I don't work. Have that. What? Oh, I had it I for like I dropped out of AP bio two months before the AP, oh, okay. and my teacher was really, really upset about it. But I was like, I just don't want to study for this thing, so I'm not going to do it. Um, oh, my God it was a much longer story but that's the basic gist of it um but the way that your kidneys work is that they um they're these tubes that basically run through your kidney and they pull out um they they pull out the water essentially they pull out like all the crap that's in your body and then that gets let let out of the body through your urine so the way that the um the way like those tubes that are kind of like in and out and in and out and in and out and all of that surface area allows the chemical reactions to take place um the the, the second kidney is more of a surface area thing like it goes it, ha- uh, it does the same process um right but you're right they're connected to the same plumbing so right there's not you don't have that backup kidney right okay Okay. I hear it. Going back to your mom for a second. So you have this conversation. Your dad is immediately like, this is amazing. Go for it. Your mom is, I think has the more like common reaction of let's, of, of let's, let's think about this for a second. Um, And, but ultimately she comes around.
1: Yes. Very quickly, actually within, you know, within that, that first phone call, she said, you know, as scary. And, you know, there's so many reasons that people think, oh, I, I can't donate my kidney. I can't give it away. What if, if someone needs it? And I, and right. I had no longer have it to give. What if my kid needs it? What if my husband, my spouse, my mother, my father, and it's so important to remember that's such a common, it's such a common fear, but it's so important to remember that just because you're related does not mean you're going to be a match. And
0: doesn't that give you a higher probability?
1: Usually, but not always. Okay. And also, it's not so easy. It's not so easy to donate to a child if you're an adult. There are a lot of issues with sizing and things like that. And it's also very important to remember, and this was something that I felt so strongly about, and I still feel this. And that it happens to me now that, like, laws and stuff are changing a little bit about this. But I feel 100% that if, God forbid, someone in my closest circle needed a kidney, someone would step up just like I did, right? I decided right. to step up for a stranger, a literal stranger I had never, ever, ever met. Someone, someone else will do that, right? Like it's not, right. and it happens to be now that there are all these um, statutes changing about altruistic donors that they can designate someone to kind of be, an altruistic donor, if, if God forbid something happened to my kidney, I would move to the top of the donation list. Right, and it's important to remember that the donation list, um, the there's UNOS, which is like the national registry for organ donation. The waiting time on that for a live kidney donor is close to seven years. Wow, so many people who are waiting for a kidney don't have seven years. You can be on dialysis, but dialysis does a huge. It takes a huge toll on your body. Renewal's waiting list is. A fraction of that, I mean it can be my whole process i don't you know I don't know exactly how long my my recipient was waiting. I want to say not more than a year and a half, but my whole process from from that phone call in January, I had my surgery on may twenty first
0: Wow, only a few months,
1: so it's only a few months, so anyway, my mother had those extremely common, extremely natural, extremely understandable fears, you know right. Before this surgery, I had never been hospitalized other than during my pregnancies. I had never had a surgery other than the three C-sections that I've, that I've had with my children. So this was completely uncharted territory for me.
0: Right. I want to backtrack a little bit because we were, yes, we were up to the, the million dollar physical. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. so, so you collect all of the pee beforehand and then yes. you, uh, and then you come, into the, come into the hospital the next day. You have your parents' blessing. What does that day look like?
1: Okay, so that that day, so the first thing I believe you meet with a nephrologist, nephrologist is a kidney specialist, right? Um, just to kind of talk over the whole thing, talk about the kidneys, talk about your kidneys, does a very preliminary non-invasive exam. Uh, Then you get blood work done. I didn't even think I had blood left after that. They take a lot. (laughs) Um, but the truth is, once it's in, you know, once the needle's in, it doesn't really matter how much they right. take; it feels the same. So anyway, um, blood work, you get um, an EKG, a chest X-ray. There was more. Um, you meet with oh, you meet with you have a you meet with a psychologist and or psychiatrist for a uh, complete psychological evaluation to make sure you are mentally good with this. There are a ton of questions you meet with the the hospital's transplant coordinator there are a ton of questions that they ask you to make sure that you're kind of like in a good headspace to go forward you know the health part is extremely important and there are red flags they're looking for such as um diabetes is a is an automatic disqualification um being extremely overweight not necessarily an automatic disqualification by any means but you know something that is a red flag And things like that, Um, you know, medications. There's a ton of things that, you know, they have to just go through to make sure. But in terms of the psychological part, I would say in that one day, I was asked at least eight or ten times the same questions. How would you feel if the transplant doesn't work? Meaning they do it and it's not a success. How would you feel if the recipient passes away? Shortly after the transplant, how would you feel if you find out the recipient, you know, caused their own problems, meaning not a genetic disease, meaning they lead, they led an extremely unhealthy lifestyle. They, they caused their kidneys to go into something they
0: alcoholic or something,
1: something that they perhaps have brought upon themselves. You know, um, how would you feel if it turns out someone close to you needs a kidney and now you can't give them tons and tons of questions you know about how mentally you think you'd be able to handle all of the outcomes all of the possible outcomes because of course there are a lot of possible outcomes that are not favorable you know um it's a, it's a small percent kidney transplants on the whole are extremely successful they're extremely low risk um and thank god mine was extremely successful my recipient has told me numerous times that his uh Kidney numbers are the best his nephrologist has ever seen, and he actually told me that he is putting in his will that I can get the kidney back should I decide I want it. (laughs) Um, Which is totally not a thing. Um,
0: (laughs) But a nice gesture,
1: I guess. (laughs) But a very sweet gesture, very sweet. Um, So, yeah, you spend the whole day really – and what's so crazy is that so many people have found – through these physicals, have found things they never would have found, you know, whether it's cancer, early detection of cancer, um, you know, an an undiagnosed, rare something. And so many of them have been able to handle it, deal with it, and then come back later as a kidney donor. But these, these physicals have really, really helped save so many lives, aside from just the kidney donation
0: right process. so you so you have the full physical um yeah. you have the full physical you go through the whole psych evaluation that makes you know that to me makes sense as well you want to make sure also you want to make sure that someone is fully aware of what it is that they're doing exactly um you and know that it's, they're
1: not being coerced or anything like that right. there you know that is completely illegal obviously there's no financial gain there's nothing like that right and we do definitely try to make sure that you are of sound mind and doing it a hundred percent of your own
0: volition. Right. Um, Did anyone ever ask you what you would feel like if your recipient was like an awful person?
1: So it's interesting because I kind of thought about that. Right. And I felt very strongly that, that whoever I was matched with was in God's hands. Right. God was matching me with this person for a reason, you know, sure. Everyone wants to donate to a, you know, four year old or a young mother of five or, you know, something, of course, but that's not reality. There are so, so many people in the world who need kidneys. And I just felt like it was in the matching part was in God's hand, and I was going to make the best of it. And if it turned out it wasn't, you know, my dream person, then that would be okay too. Because really at the end of the day, whoever that person is. He's alive. He's living his life with so much better quality than he was before that it doesn't even matter. And, and an interesting story I'll tell you: um, over the past year since I've done my donation, I've met so, so, so many people who are involved with renewal. I we have a WhatsApp chat of, of donors where we celebrate each other's milestones and exciting events, and just keep it, you know keep updated on everything. Right. Um, I've really met. So many incredible people. And one woman that I met, it's so interesting also because Renewal is, you know, a Jewish organization, but they don't only work with Jews. Anyone can be a donor. Anyone can be a recipient. Happens to be that because they are a Jewish organization and they're located in Brower Park and, you know, 98% of their of their clientele is Jewish. So, but it runs the gamut literally from Satmer um, or ultra, ultra Orthodox, Hasidic Jews to completely unaffiliated. Like, So I met a woman who happened to be, I don't think she was Hasidish, but definitely more, more ultra Orthodox. And she, she actually told me that she really dislikes her recipient. She just doesn't think highly of them. She, you know, all of those, all of those fears kind of like, we're totally, and yet she said to me, but I gave my kidney to God and he put it where it needed to go. So it's the type of thing that, you know, maybe people don't want to verbalize, but sure. Like it totally exists. You can't, these, these things aren't handpicked and it is, it is in God's I mean, I know that
0: I would feel if I was giving up a kidney and maybe this is a reason why I shouldn't give up a kidney but if I were (laughs) to I would be like listen you got to take good care of this kidney like I want you exercising every day I want like like limit not I'm not gonna say no ice cream because I wouldn't do that to anyone but like keep it keep it in check because you got to take care of that kidney and I mean I guess I would probably fail those tests but to me it's also you know you want to make sure it's a very it's a very it's a weird thing to think you're changing somebody's life for irre- irrevocably you're you're making a huge improvement in someone's life Absolutely, but also that kind of I can like I immediately go to the god complex place and I'm like I immediately go to that judgy place of well do let me let me let me go through the dialysis center and let me see who doesn't uh, deserve to be here I immediately go to that place and doing and obviously you don't get to choose um right you know if you do it um in an like you said, you called her an altruistic donor, then you don't get to just be like, mm, no, everyone line up. I, I have one for the taking. Like, that's just not how it right. works. And it's, it's,
1: it's a lot. It is a lot. And it's, and it's a very, it's very true because in a way you do feel like I have this power, right? I have healthy kidney and I'm, and I'm willing to give it. So you better deserve it, you know, right. but it's, it's just not, you know, it's just not the case. And um, a, a good friend of mine, who we became friends through through uh, our kidney donations, he donated to um, an 85 year old woman, and I I know they asked him, you know, are you okay with that? Like, you know, she's pretty, she's old up there, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I, I mean, I can't say what I would have done because I tend to think I would have just been fine with it because it's just the way I think but you know I know he he really considered that an honor because he looked back at his grandfather and seeing you know well my grandfather lived to 92 so those seven years he got to see children grandchildren get married great-grandchildren born you know so it's kind of like you have to remove yourself from the equation because it's not about you at that point you know it's really it's really out of
0: your hands Right. So, so you, you pass, you pass the tests, you pass the the physical tests, you pass the mental tests. And then at what point do they say, like, I'm sure that there's a ridiculous amount of paperwork that has to happen at every stage of this process. um, But at what point is it like, okay, your, your surgery is scheduled for next week, Tuesday, be here. Like how, how, how much time passes in between those two stages?
1: So after that day of testing, you actually have to go and be presented. Um, Obviously you're not there. The doctors have to present you to the transplant board and you have to be approved. So again, I felt this huge anxiety, like what if they don't approve me? What if I didn't answer that question? Right. What if I didn't do this? Right. Whatever. Um, so that took again, about another week or two weeks before I got
0: that official approval. So at what point are we up to now? You said that you donated in May. So like around when was this?
1: So, so I went in for my testing, I think it was February 11th. So
0: probably close to the beginning of March now, somewhere in that range. And does every hospital have its own transplant board or? Yeah. Okay. So this is not like a national organization. This is each hospital. And I'm assuming that the doctors of the recipient are also there. Yes, of um, course. To, Make sure to the match is okay. good and all of those things. Exactly. Okay, so now we're up to March and you get approved by the transplant board.
1: I get approved by the transplant board and basically uh, renewal calls and says, okay, we're ready. Let us know when you'd like to schedule your transplant. Give us a call. Um, and that's it. And I said, what do you mean give us a call? I'm like, let's schedule it. I'm ready. So, a very important part. Uh, Thing to know about renewal, especially, is that and and all all kidney donation, live kidney donation, altruistic kidney donation, is is extremely donor focused. So it is one hundred percent the donor's choice. And I said at the time when he told me that, I said, "What do you mean? There's somebody waiting for a kidney? I can't just be like, oh, in six months works for me." And he said, "No, kidney donation is not like a heart transplant or a lung transplant. They are not dying tonight." You know, they can wait, they can go on dialysis. It's better if they don't have to, but it is all completely in the donor's hands. You're giving up literally a piece of your body and it needs to be at a time that's convenient for you. You know, it's major surgery. You're going to be out of work. You're going to have to recuperate. You have to take into account when that works best for you. So when they told me that, I kind of thought about, okay, you know, it's March, so we have Purim. Pesach's coming up. Uh, my parents were going to be in Florida. I wanted them to be here for, you know, to help out with my kids and stuff. And I said, okay, I can do it after Pesach. Everyone will be back. My mother um, was turning seventy in on May thirteenth, so I said, okay, let's wait till after her birthday so we can have a nice birthday celebration, whatever. And I purposely said I'd like to do my surgery on a Monday or Tuesday so I could be home for Shabbat. Um, which, of course, you know, man plans and God laughs. But, um, so that was it. You know, I just said, uh, let's try for the week of May 20th. And they came back to me and said, all set, May 21st. And at that point, it's important to know that at that point, the recipient still doesn't know. The recipient only gets a phone call two weeks before the surgery.
0: Wow. I did not realize that. So this whole time you've been working for months on the tests and everything you I'm assuming at this point have no idea who your recipient is. exactly, And and they don't know that anyone is even working for them. They don't know that there's even a possibility of exactly.
1: And the reason that is, is for two reasons. First of all, obviously, it's to not get anyone's hopes up just in case something happens. But even more importantly than that, it's so that the donor has complete and total availability to walk away. at right. You're not walking
0: away from someone
1: a hundred percent. There is no, and that's one of the main reasons that renewal especially does not encourage meeting your recipient before the surgery. They don't want you to have any undue pressure, any undue responsibility to someone. When you put a face or even a name, you know, it becomes so real. I knew it was a man. I knew he was in his sixties and he had two kids. That's all I knew. I knew That's all nothing. you know. You didn't
0: know where he lived. You didn't know what, what work he did. You didn't know anything. You see, this nothing. is why I can't do this, because I would want to have an interview. Like, I would I, I need I need an interview. I need to know uh, what's happening. I need like right. I want a life story. I want right, like right. I see this is why this is why this is not <laughs> for me. Um uh, but and, yeah, no, and, I, I get that because you you want to have the ability to to walk away without there being any like emotional uh, manipulation exactly. or just any pressure of feeling At like, all. well, I've already promised Bob my kidney, exactly, and, and Bob exactly. is going to be really upset, and Bob knows exactly. what I look like, and and knows where I live, right? And
1: he's going to and find right. me. Yeah, yeah.
0: no, so I t- I totally get that. That, that makes perfect and, sense to me.
1: And what's actually really important also is that even once even once the recipient finds out that he's ready for his transplant. If for some reason the donor decides, literally that morning, they've changed their mind, they want to walk away, the hospital, the doctor's renewal, there is a medical reason in their back pocket that they give the recipient why the transplant couldn't happen. The recipient will never find out the donor chickened out, the donor changed her, her mind, the donor decided she just wasn't going through with it. They are completely, completely protective of the donor because it's a big deal, right? And and they understand that, and they understand that,
0: right? So yeah, that that makes perfect sense. That yeah, all of that makes perfect sense to me. So then, so you you schedule it like all good Jewish mothers, you schedule the surgery for after Pesach because nothing happens after. before Pesach, and yeah. um, uh, and then you show up the morning of.
1: So the week before, actually, you have to go in for one more set of blood work. Um, I actually was able to do it locally, and they, I don't know, get it there magically. Um, And um, just uh, like a final screening, and then that's it. The morning of the transplant, you get some instructions. You get a support call from uh, an incredibly sweet warm and loving woman from new square from renewal her name is toby fader she's amazing her and her husband are just unbelievable um she calls you she tells you what you can expect she tells you what renewal will have waiting for you she tells you what to pack all of those things
0: right so Um, what so it's the morning of your surgery you get this wonderful call from toby what is going through your head the morning the morning of the surgery
1: so it's it's such a crazy crazy thing. So actually, the night before, Toby calls, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, but Renewal does these videos with the donor and recipient before the surgery. Obviously, like it's in you're in separate rooms, you don't see each other, and you know they just kind of ask you, you know, how are you feeling? You ready to go? What are your what are your thoughts? So I started watching tons and tons of them, kind of like to prep myself for this big big moment, and it. After I had spoken to Toby and she gave me everything to expect and told me what to pack, and everything was ready, and I'm sitting in bed and, you know, obviously nerves and you're not sleeping, and I'm watching these videos and watching these videos, and I just turned to my husband and I said, I can't, I can't watch these anymore. And he said, Oh my God, are you gonna back out? And I said, No, I just can't watch these anymore. I can't watch it. I need to just feel, I need to just be, and whatever happens, happens, and that's it. So I slept for a little while. Um, we had to be in a car at five in the morning to get to Cornell on time. So I was up at four. You're supposed to take a shower before you go in. You know, I just wanted to be ready. So I was up. Um,
0: why do you have to shower before?
1: So it's interesting. There's like a, a protocol with this like antibacterial. And obviously this was all pre situation Corona. Pre COVID. COVID, Yes. So, so I don't even know what the protocols are like now, but um, you have to take a shower with antibacterial soap. I don't know if it's like a sterile something or it's just because they know you're not going to be able to shower for a while. So they just want to make sure you're totally ready. Yeah, I can so, imagine
0: it's probably not a sterile thing because they can't verify yeah. the sterility of your bathroom. Right. Yeah. So I
1: don't know. But either okay. way, they told, me, they told me to shower that morning. So I did. Um, I got ready. My parents came over to my house. Because my kids were sleeping, it was a school day. Um, I did give my 15-year-old the option to come with us to the hospital rather than go to school. Um, he chose, So your kids and, knew and, at this point. So okay, so that's what I was going to just get to right now. So my at the time I had I have two boys and a girl. At the time, my kids were 15, 11, and 7. So my two older ones are boys. I told my boys about a week before that this was something I was going to do. I spoke at length with, there's this incredible rabbi in my community, um, in Tinek. His name is Rabbi, Rabbi Ephraim Simon. He happens to be a Chabad rabbi. I'm not Chabad, but I like him a lot. And, um, he donated a kidney a very long time ago. I want to say before renewal even really existed. Um, and he has subsequently donated a lobe of his liver. Okay. Which is, bananas but that's a separate that's a whole separate store yeah okay yeah so I spoke to him before I spoke to my kids and he has nine children and I said I just need a little bit of advice on how to broach this with my kids how do I explain to them that I'm putting my life at risk you know going under general anesthesia going in for an elective surgery I certainly don't need um how do I explain this to them? And he just made it so easy. He said to me that the the way he felt that it was the easiest to talk to his children about it was by saying that there is this, I have this incredible opportunity to do this humongous, humongous kindness for someone, a said, a good deed, a mitzvah, to do all of these things. And the only way that I can do it is with everyone on board with everyone's support. So everyone in this family is is a part of this mitzvah. And I I told that to my boys and I explained it to them and they were totally cool with it. They were like typical teenage boys. Like, all yeah. right, cool. We'll see you when you get home. You know, like, <laughs> right. they were they were great. My so, daughter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So your daughter is seven. Does she have a, does she have a, she's a little kid. Like, does yeah. she have a different reaction to this? Oh, so,
1: right. So she's seven. And, oh, and I also told my boys at this point, nobody knew. My parents, I had told my sisters by then, and my husband, nobody knew. So obviously right. I told my boys, you know, not that it's a secret, but that it's something we're keeping for ourselves right now. And when it happens, we can right. we can talk about it. So my daughter, I taking that into consideration, the secretness of it, Um, I really, I waited till the night before and I said, you know, tomorrow morning when you wake up, Bobby and daddy are going to be here, your grandparents, um, mommy and daddy are going to be at the hospital. This is something mommy's doing and whatever. And she, I explained it at the best that I could for her and she was great. She was totally great. In fact, the next morning, my mom told me at the bus stop, she turned to her friends and said, my mom is doing a really big Mitzvah today, a really big, good deed. And it was, it was pretty incredible. My kids were,
0: my kids were incredible. They were So they were your, your 15 year old opted to still go to school.
1: So he, yes, he opted to still go to school. And I told him and I told my 12 year old as well that, my husband would, would text someone to get in touch with them as soon as I was out of surgery so they would know that everything was okay.
0: That everything was good. So you go yeah. into you go into surgery. Now you mentioned, I, I think that what I want to do from this point forward, you mentioned that you have had three C-sections. Yeah. I have not had any C-sections or been involved in childbirth in any way. However, <laughs> most people listening to this probably have. So when you're I want you to compare it to having a C-section, um, to talk talk to me about what, how it's, I mean, obviously you're not in labor before. Um, but aside from that, um, how does the, the actual surgery itself, like how does the process work and how does it compare to getting a C-section?
1: So C-section for me, um, I was in labor all three times. I never had a scheduled planned C-section, even though I was supposed to. So The beginning part for me was totally different. This, I arrived at my, you know, my time. They took me back. It was very calm. I can tell you I was never so calm in my entire life as I was the morning of my surgery. Um, It's very, very seamless. Obviously, there is no labor. There's no pain. There's no medications. There's nothing like that. The surgeon comes in, makes an X on the side of which kidney he's taking because it's not always – you know, the same one. And what's interesting, and this is similar, at least in my experience, to C-section is you have to walk yourself to the operating room. Walk, you know, I said goodbye to my husband. I, I um, walked down the hall and you have to walk all by yourself. You know, the nurse walks with you, but you're not wheeled. You have to climb onto the operating table.
0: Is that a legal thing so that you show that it's your... Um... I believe,
1: yeah, I believe so. So that you literally can not get on the table if you choose not to do it. Um, uh, With a C-section, you are awake. So there's none of that drama of the, you know, the thing coming down on your face and counting backwards from 10 and all that. And I can tell you, I wish I remembered more from the operating room because I literally climbed on the table. They strap you in, which is kind of creepy, but they do. Um, and, uh, I don't remember counting past eight and that was it. So in terms of a C-section, it, it is totally different. This is general anesthesia. It's not, um, you're not awake. This is also a laparoscopic procedure. So I only have the surgeon that, that, um, I used that Cornell the surgeon that, that they provided. He is um, known, he's famous for doing one incision. Many surgeons who do this do three incisions. I have one small incision near my belly button. Somehow they got everything in and got everything out from there. How
0: small is small? Like how many Uh, inches?
1: Oh, that's a good question. That's Uh, like, you just
0: made a, you just made a, like a one inch kind of thing.
1: Maybe like. I'm just trying to say wait, like between one and two, maybe like one and a half, maybe smaller.
0: A kidney Pretty comes small. out through a one and a half inch hole. Well, so
1: I think that, that the, well, first of all, they make the hole. I don't know if it, oh, if it shrinks afterwards with healing, but right. they blow up your abdomen with air. blow oh, okay. it up Tremendously. And then they put in all their tools and it's interesting because when, um, when kidney transplants first started, you know, however many years ago, they used to go through the back because the kidneys are further back and that's a much more dangerous surgery.
0: Right. Spine. Yes. So,
1: so now somehow they, they fill up your abdomen with air and they pull it out and um, it's pretty, pretty easy. It's Not a, not a huge. Right.
0: right. I mean, I'm making it sound like you need to take your own kidney out and obviously you don't. Um, <laughs> So how long is the actual surgery?
1: Uh, The surgery was like between three and four hours, I think. Um, And then you go to recovery and there's all that. Um,
0: And do they take it at the same time that you're having your surgery? Your recipient is having another surgery, right?
1: The recipient starts um, an hour or so later, but yes, you're literally in the hospital rooms away from each other. Um, Renewal does caution that they do everything in their power to keep the recipient, the donor and the recipient separate the only place they have no control over is the surgical waiting room when you first get there in the morning um but it does usually work out because the donor needs to be there before the recipient so that wasn't really that wasn't an issue for us although it's a funny story when my husband and I were sitting in the waiting room before we even got called in to start the process um it was like five in the morning there was a family um who were obviously Jewish it was a man Looked to be in his 60s with two girls, and they were praying, and I was positive that was him. Positive, positive, positive. And I went into my surgery thinking that was him. Right. And it turned out that it was very much not him. And my husband ended up finding out during the surgery that not only was it not him, but they were sitting in the waiting room while their father was having surgery, and they are on Renewal's um, prayer chat so they were actually praying for me wow even though they were there for completely
0: And they didn't know they desperate. were right there
1: they had no idea renewal sends out whenever there's a transplant they send out the names of the donor and the recipient for people to pray for them during the surgery right so they were involved with renewal they were on that chat and they were actually sitting there praying for me during my surgery and i the whole time was thinking oh that's the guy who's getting me that's
0: kidney. the guy that's the guy wow that's crazy. Okay, so you have the you have the 3-4 hour surgery. You go into recovery. How long are you in the hospital after recovery? After the surgery.
1: So a, so, a typical um a typical kidney donor is only in the hospital for two nights max. Um I personally had a different experience. Like I said before, man plans and God laughs. Um my body did not like the anesthesia. I had a very hard time clearing it. Um, my belly was still very distended. I ended up being in the hospital for five days. I was able to go home on Saturday, on Shabbos. Um, the rabbi that we consulted with told us, if you are released, you leave. A hospital is no place to stay. If you are healthy, and you know, we found all these you know, Uber with, with our elbow and whatever, we ended up being able to leave on Saturday. Um, I had no complications for my surgery, just to be clear. The surgery was seamless. There was no issue. The only issue that I personally had was my body just wasn't happy with anesthesia and was just slow to clear everything. So right. just made my stay in the hospital a little bit longer. We needed a little more help. I needed a little more help to move around. I couldn't get out of bed that night like most people do. I, um, I needed help getting my belly to, to wake up again, my bowels, all the insides just weren't handling it well. But it had it really had nothing to do with the surgery part. That was a complete success. I had no complications. Thank God my recipient had no complications The kidney worked immediately. He was producing urine right away. Um, so I can't say enough about the surgeon and everything. And obviously any, anything that prolonged my stay was completely precautionary. It was not because of anything that happened. Everyone reacts differently. I didn't have great reactions to anesthesia during my C-section. So it wasn't a huge surprise. Um, but so for me, I was in the hospital for five days, but it's, that's totally atypical, really a typical stay is two nights. I've heard of so many donors who've left after one night who I think are bonkers, but yeah, you know, to each, their own. To each their
0: own. So then, <laughs> exactly. and then how long was it until you were like really back on your feet afterwards? Cause you, you know, obviously leaving the hospital is very different from being recovered. hundred percent.
1: So, so I would say it takes a good solid two weeks to feel to that's feel it. well to feel okay meaning okay. you know every, every day you're going for you know short walks up the block around the block and now I'll tell you I think that I'm an atypical uh recoverer in that it took me a long time I mentioned before my friend who donated to the 85 year old woman after two weeks he was riding 45 miles on his bike and
0: I wanted to punch him in the face yeah that's probably so, and- also not the best idea even if you can
1: Right. So there, you know, I would say he's atypical and I'm atypical and there is a huge group in between. So right. it took me longer. Um, I would say after ten weeks I was back to exercising mildly. Um, I love to do bar and bar classes, so that was lower impact. I certainly was not biking, I don't bike anyway. Um, you know, so but a thousand percent by the time you reach the six month mark, and I would say Possibly even sooner. You, it's it's like it never happened physically. Meaning, like you have no residual physical issues. Most people, I would say, even say you know four months, maybe even three months after, literally nothing physical. Um, emotional is a whole different story, whole different. Um, and I'll tell you, the only restrictions that that a kidney donor has is um, switching from Advil to the Tylenol. Because Advil is filtered through your kidneys, so they don't want to put too much of that through your kidney. Um, and I was told no tackle football. So that really, you know, made a large I'm sure that really
0: impacted your life in a very significant way.
1: Exactly, exactly. But other than that, there's literally no restrictions, literally nothing,
0: nothing. Right. So you said emotionally was a whole different story. What so you know, the the day after the week after now we're a couple of now we're over a year later. What emotionally? What is it like to have donated a kidney?
1: It's literally for me has been the most life changing thing I've ever done in my life. I literally feel like my life is like before and after I have um, I walk around with a feeling. I, I can't even describe it. It's literally, it's just like, it's an incredible an incredible feeling knowing that you were able to save someone's life and have no impact on, on my own. My life is the same, if not better than it was before. And this man who I subsequently got to meet at, um, about seven months after our surgeries, um, his name is Amos. He went skiing. He, he like, I mean, he doesn't have to have dialysis. He doesn't have. He's not strapped to machines. His sister, who I met, also lives in Israel, and he can go and see her. You know, like he he can go visit his parents. Unfortunately, he passed away. They're buried in Israel. He could go visit their graves. He's never been able to do that because the process of bringing all the dialysis medication and taking it—it's just—it's overwhelming. And now he just lives. He just lives like a normal human being, and it's it's unbelievable. The, the emotional, you know, before I did this, I, I, maybe this leads back to my being scared as a child, but I've always been kind of like a self-proclaimed pessimist. I was very much like a glass half empty type of person. Oh, it's not going to work out. Oh, you know, something's wrong at the doctor. Like that's it. It's over, you know? Um, But something really shifted in me since I did this, just meeting, All of these other donors, the people who are involved with renewal, all of these people who literally had no reason to do this and just felt compelled to do it like I did for no reason has really shifted my thinking. And I think I've become, you know, I can't say 100% an optimist, but I've certainly turned the corner on that. You know, I see the village so much easier and so much quicker now than I ever did
0: before. Wow. That's that's an intense, it's an intense story. I still don't think I could do it. Um, I, I <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not signing up to give anything away, but I guess, see the thing, the thing that sticks with me from all of this is what you said before, you know, when I asked you if you would, what if, what if you need that backup kidney? And you're like, well, I think that's just the same way that I stood up um to give to someone, someone will stand up to gift for me um, or for a family member. And you're right. Stories like this just make us feel a, a little bit better about the state of humanity right. as a whole. Wow. If somebody wants to reach out to you, Aviva, where how can they do that? Where can they go? So um, I have an Instagram
1: account. Um, it is at Aviva Breda. It's A-V-I-V-A-V-R-E-V-A my first name and last name. Um, on Instagram and um, you can also email me same thing avivabreda at gmail.com I um, am always happy to talk about this talk about other things
0: um, yeah I would love I would love to hear from everyone that that is yes reach out guys she's awesome to talk to um, and the last thing that I want to ask is what I ask everyone who comes on the show and that is to you Aviva Breda what does it mean to make an impact
1: so I've heard this podcast before, so I was prepared for this question and I've actually been thinking about it for a while. And I think that really, to me, what it means to make an impact is is to leave the world better than it was before you got there. But but not just, you know, each person has has such a uniqueness to them. There's a famous quote by um, Rabbi Nachman of Bresla that says that the day you were born was the day God decided the world could not exist without you. And it's so true. Each person has so many unique qualities and so many special things to give. And don't just make the world better, make it better because of you, because you're in it. And that's that's what I that's what I try to think about on a on a regular basis. Wow. thank you so much for coming out
0: today, people. I really Thanks appreciate for it. Having you. It was Thanks for listening. If you'd like to be in touch with Aviva, her contact info is in the show notes. You'll also find links there to at-home activities perfect for quarantine, some of which are free, all of which are high fashion. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, and want to help more people hear it. Leave a review or a quick rating. It will make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Riff Gietzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.nyc. As always, here's to making an impact together.